0: In organizational communications, they say it takes about seven repetitions for something to really sink in, and it's the point at which you get sick of sharing the message that people first start to notice that you've been saying something. So the bad news is we have less than two weeks left until the next congregational meeting, and it's on a Saturday night. So I'm just going to repeat what Neil said, right, to get our seven in. You've got the, the print version in your bulletin. He's got one, that's two, so we're at three, so that's pretty good. You got an email earlier this week, that's four. Uh, We're making good progress. But the meeting, uh, in all seriousness, the meeting on the 8th, right, the bulletin says the 6th. Don't come on the 6th, you'll have a very bad experience. The 8th, right, 6 o'clock, this is the time, last time we talked about the past, the things that brought you to the church, the things that keep you here. This time we'll be just talking about the present. We'll be looking in the mirror, looking at the way God is working in our congregation, the ministries of our church the things God is blessing, and it is a great opportunity to not only share your passions and the way God is working in your life, but to be able to provide fairly specific um, insights into the different ministries of our church. So that's my public service announcement. We only have to get three more in the next week, so I think then we'll be good on our seven. As human beings, we are strangely compelled to mess up a good thing when we have it. I don't know what it is. It just seems to be innate. But uh, when we get into a really good situation, we can't just say, man, this is great. Let's keep it going. We have to either coast and let it erode, or we decide to improve it. So whether it is a relationship that we torpedo or a work situation that we fail to appreciate until we foolishly leave... Or whether it's breaking up a great band at its peak, or deciding to make episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars, we just can't seem to leave well enough alone. Something about us wants to disrupt it. We get into something, it's going well, and then we start to take it for granted. We get bored. We decide it's time for something new and fresh and different and better, and in the end, we ter- usually turn out wrecking the whole thing. This, I think, was supposed to be one of the lessons we were supposed to learn from that whole Adam-Eve-serpent-garden thing in Genesis. Right here, you have this great opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord, but that's just not good enough. We've got to make the situation better. We just don't seem to learn. And as we continue our fall series through Malachi whose name I would emphasize literally means my messenger. We see that God has indeed sent him as a messenger. He has a message to give to a group of people in Israel who had it really, really good. And then they messed it all up. And in this case, it is the priests of Israel. You see, they had a really sweet gig. They got to be in the presence of the Lord. They got to serve him. They got to represent the people to God. Right? They got to be fed and supported by the people of Israel and to teach them the truths of the Lord. But just like we tend to do, they messed it up really badly. Our passage this morning is Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and that it continues the debate that we saw unfolding at the end of chapter 1 last week between, the, between God and the priests of Israel about how they were despising him. This is a lengthy passage. I would encourage you to follow along in your Bible. I will try to switch the slide at the right point. All right, if you need to find Malachi, it is a short book. Find the book of Matthew, then turn back a couple pages. God says, and now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the second half of God's condemnation of the priests of Israel. Last week's passage talked about the the, just terrible and insulting sacrifices being permitted by the priests. But this week, God turns his attention to the priests themselves. And boy, does he have a message for them. Because they are being shockingly, I would say even brutally, criticized and threatened for their sinful lifestyle and their false teaching. And as with last week, there are three key takeaways I would like to discuss from this passage this morning. The first is that God completely rejected the priests of Israel. As you read this passage, there are three things the priests are supposed to do. They're supposed to teach the truth about God. They're supposed to live holy lives. And they're supposed to guide people away from sin. Verses 6 and 7 paint the picture of how things were supposed to be, as God describes the virtues of the early priests of Israel. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And remember what I just said the name Malachi means my messenger. The priests, all of them were supposed to be Malachis. But because they have failed, God has sent them a Malachi to tell them what's coming. Their responsibility is under the covenant that God had made with Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron. It's found in Numbers 25, verses 12 and 13. In that passage, God says, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So this covenant, which, which Malachi is referring to as the covenant of Levi, was supposed to be a forever covenant. It was supposed to be perpetual And verse 5 of today's passage summarizes it. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I I gave them to him. And it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. And recall, biblically, when we see the word fear, it is speaking of reverence and awe and respect for the Lord. He stood in awe of my name. This was indeed a very sweet gig. The priests received life and peace from God. They had companionship with the Lord. They got to serve in the presence of the living God of the universe himself. In exchange, they were to reverence him, to be truthful in their teaching, to live holy lives, and to help provide wise guidance to the peoples of Israel. That is how it was supposed to be. And at one time it was. But by the 5th century B.C., in the time of Malachi, the reality was far different. If you were here last week, you know that chapter 1 makes it clear. The priests were not reverent toward God. That thought continues in verse 2 this morning. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. This was the most fundamental duty of the priests, to honor the Lord, and they were failing. But then as the passage continues on, God makes it clear they're failing all of the other responsibilities of the job as well. Right? They have become false teachers. They have sunk into a pit of personal sin, and they have been leading the people of Israel into that pit with them rather than steering them clear of it. And in verses 8 and 9 God says but you have turned away from the w- aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction you have corrupted the covenant of Levi and so i make you despise and abase before the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction so so beyond all the other things they're doing they're also biased in the way they deal with the people it's not clarified here in malachi but if you read the other the other prophets, the other so-called minor prophets, the Book of the Twelve, the last twelve prophets of, of the Old Testament. The consistent theme is that there is an issue where the priesthood is favoring the wealthy and the powerful, the one percenters, if you will, at the cost of the poor and the oppressed. And God hates that because God doesn't care about wealth and status. He cares about people. So they are failing in every possible way. Right? They are doing utterly and completely the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing as priests. And they're doing it with this attitude of nonchalance that we saw back in chapter 1, where they just don't think God is going to do anything about it. That they can get away with this. I think this is an attitude we see a lot today in our culture. But they are completely wrong. If you look at verses 2 and 3, it is clear. This is God's plan to curse the priests. And we don't like to think about God in this way. But he is a God who will be honored. Listen closely to God's words here and just feel his righteous anger boiling over at these priests who have been abusing the amazing opportunity that he has given them to be in his presence His righteous anger is overflowing towards these priests who do not take seriously the responsibility of serving the living God of the universe. Who do not take seriously the importance of teaching God's people about him. Who do not take seriously the importance of holy living when you serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. God says, and I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Yes, God did just say that. He will curse them. He will turn their blessings into curses. He will turn the blessings that they pronounce on the people of Israel into curses, to reveal the depth of the sickness in their hearts. He will curse their children and their children's children and strip away the priesthood. And to top it off, if you remember all those terrible defective sacrifices they were making back in chapter 1, in what has to be some of the most shocking and disgusting language of the Bible, God says he is going to smear the guts of, and feces of these animals on the priest's faces. We always want families to talk about the sermon in the next few days. So kids, if you need to know what some of those words mean, to- awesome lunch topic. Right? Ask mom and dad while you're at Chipotle today. Not only is this incredibly gross, right? and if you spend any time thinking about it, and I've had to think about it for the past week, it is nasty to even think about But these are the parts of the animals that were to be carefully gathered up, right? because they were so unclean that to come in contact with them would make you unclean, unsuitably in the presence of God. These are so unclean, they were supposed to be gathered up, taken outside the walls of the city, and burned, so they could not contaminate the people, not only physically, but spiritually. And instead, God says he's going to smear that all over the priest's face, And make them as filthy and unsuitable on the outside as they already are on the inside. And then he says that they're going to be taken out of the city along with the rest of the mess and destroyed forever. Because that's really what the close of verse 3 is saying when God says, you shall be taken away with it. It's going to be all packed up, carted out of the city, and discarded forever. Forever. This is the complete and utter rejection of the Israelite priesthood because God is done with this chapter of salvation history. And that brings us to the second key takeaway this morning, which is that as the next chapter of salvation history dawns in Jesus Christ, he is our great high priest. You see, the priests and the priesthood did not reform in any meaningful way in the five centuries between Malachi and the arrival of Jesus. I think this is an interesting insight into God's own timing, right? We always want God to fix problems immediately, maybe after a couple weeks. We really had to a couple months. God makes his decision about the priests 500 years before he is actually officially gets rid of the priest's. But make no doubt, that chapter was closed in the time of Malachi. They did not change in a meaningful way. We see them show up in the New Testament as it talks about the priests. But we see it even more so in the New Testament. We know them better as the Sadducees. The Sadducees are these priests, continued on. They were wealthy, they were well connected, they were extremely political. And they tended towards Roman collaboration. Actually, you would think as the guardians of the priests, the temple, they shouldn't. But they went that way in order to preserve their wealth and power base, which was centered in the temple. And the Romans could take it away. Ultimately, the priests and the priesthood had failed utterly. And God had condemned it to utter destruction back in Malachi's time. And he carries it out in 70 A.D., when the temple is destroyed and the priests and the Sadducees disappear into the pages of history forever. But their failure did not change the need for someone to represent the people, to represent us to God. Did not change the need for someone to represent God to the people, to us. Because priest or no priest, we all still sin. We all still disobey God. We all still do whatever we think is best. The thing that makes us happiest. The thing that feels right at the moment. The thing our culture tells us is okay to do, regardless of what God's word has to say about it. And without the priests and the sacrifices, the sins just keep piling up higher and higher and higher. And the tragedy of that is that it only takes one sin to separate us forever from the God who is perfect and pure and holy and who can abide no sin whatsoever. One sin is all it takes. We can be perfect every other day of our lives and just slip up once, which I'm sure describes many of you here, though not me. I slip up all the time. And we would be separated from the perfect and holy God of the universe forever. And yet, you know I like the end yet. The good news is in the end yet. And yet, God still loves us anyway, despite all that. And he yearns to restore us into right relationship with him, the relationship he made us to have with him. A relationship where we can call on him as our Father and know that he hears us. To do that, we still need a priest who brings us into fellowship with him. And Jesus Christ is that priest. When Jesus chose to suffer the humiliation of a trial, when he chose to be beaten and whipped by the Roman army, when he chose to suffer and die on a Roman cross to bear our sin, yours and mine, so that we could be forgiven forever. Through faith in him, Jesus became our high priest forever and ever. This theme is most clearly explained in the book of Hebrews. I'll give you a few of the highlights as we go through to talk about Christ's priesthood. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 explain, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is forever able to save anyone who approaches God through him as the writer of Hebrews continues in chapter 7, verses 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I want us to hold on to that last verse. That assurance that he is able to save to the uttermost. That no matter how far you are away from God, Jesus Christ can save you. That no matter how far away someone you love is from God, to never give up on them because Jesus Christ can save them. And that when we distance ourselves from him by sinning, that when we turn away from that sin and ask for forgiveness, he is always there 24-7 to make intercession for us as his followers. This is amazing news. That no matter how terrible our sins are, no matter how embarrassing or horrifying or humiliating or stupid or shameful those sins might be, Christ can save us from them. That when he represents us before God, our sins are washed away forever. We are not just forgiven, but they are erased. But this is only available to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Once you take that step of faith, Once you turn away from your sins and ask forgiveness through Christ, from that moment on, God does not see your sin. He sees the perfect, holy, spotless, eternal, great high priest, Jesus Christ, living within us. That's amazing grace. And not only does he erase our sin through his sacrifice, but Jesus Christ, as our priest, opens the door so that we can approach the throne of God himself with confidence. That we can speak to him, that we can pray to him, that we can hear from him. That through the work of our great high priest, we receive the infinite grace and mercy of God. Mercy that we can count on every time we need it. The writer of Hebrews summarizes it so well in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weaknesses. That's good news for all of us, by the way. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin let us in with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need that's the power of the great high priest the third takeaway this morning is that as believers in Jesus Christ we are also priests under his authority and god rewards our ministry. If you were here this summer as we went through 1 Peter, you will recall that twice we came across this truth, that we, each and every person who believes in Jesus Christ, is a priest. That this is not just a thing for for people who have been to seminary. This is not just a thing for people who are ordained ministers. It is for every person who calls on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right, Pastor Neil already quoted 1 Peter 2.9. The other passage that talks about it in 1 Peter is 2.5, which says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So while Jesus is the great high priest, we are each holy priests under him. We have responsibilities that are very similar to those outlined in Malachi, very similar to those of the Old Testament priests, though thankfully way less messy. As we unpacked 1 Peter this summer, we saw exactly the kinds of things expected of a priest, a New Testament priest. We are to offer sacrifices of praise and to offer up every aspect of our lives to serve him. We are to represent God to people who don't know him or who don't know him well because they've only gotten a distorted picture of him from the news, from TV, from media, from friends, from, from academia. We're to teach people about God and Jesus, starting, of course, in our family with our children, but, but moving outward, radiating outward, teaching the, the children and youth, our fellow church members, Teaching our community, teaching our neighbors and friends, our co workers and relatives, and anyone else we come in contact. We're to live uprightly ourselves. And we're to help others turn away from sin through advice and encouragement and accountability. Ultimately, these are the same tasks that God outlined in Malachi, right? To teach the truth, to live and walk with God in a holy lifestyle, and to guide people away from sin. And I want each of us to realize that not only is this our our responsibility, but that it is a privilege and a joy to do these things for the Lord. That this is pleasure of the highest sort, to, to be used by God, to do His work, to do His will, to know that you are in His will is incomparable. And I think many of you could stand up and share Times where you have known you are in his will. And the feeling of that is like nothing else. It is a supernatural joy. That we are called to share his kingdom here in Lakeridge and, and with all those who have, need to experience it firsthand. There is joy in this. And the fact that, with, that as we serve, right, he is with us. And that the Holy Spirit is what empowers us as we minister. This is the greatest feeling on earth. This is what makes it a supernatural joy. That participation with God. That partnership with God. That experience of God in us. That we commune with the Lord. That we are part of his plan to restore creation to perfection. And we must be careful to never view this as a burden. The way the Old Testament priests did in ship Malachi 1. Because this is the greatest privilege imaginable. Because God doesn't need us to fulfill his plan. He doesn't need anything. But he invites us to be part of his plan. He makes a place for us to be part of his plan. And that's amazing. To do the task that we are called to do as ministers does not require a bookshelf full of seminary books, because each of us, as we minister and serve in our everyday situation, have everything we need, right? Our everyday situation, we are to be ministering at work, at school, on the bus, in the car, in the store, at the mall, in our streets with our neighbors, And we don't have to have fancy content and deep theological knowledge because God's word is the content of our ministry, proclaiming the excellencies of God, as Peter talks about. And we establish very easily, each of us has ways we know the excellency of God in our lives that we can share. And that if we are faithful in studying God's word, he promises this Holy Spirit will bring it to mind when we need it, and he does. And in the same way, that as we walk along, that as we strive to walk uprightly, and as we build our relationship with God, that the Holy Spirit helps us to accomplish this. So as we study the Word daily, if at all possible, as we pray daily, and I know that's possible because you can pray anywhere, as we serve God, we get to experience exactly the same blessings that God promised in the covenant of Levi. We are, as new priests, the heirs to these promises, because think of what we experience. We experience eternal life. We experience the overwhelming peace of God, even in the midst of a world that is crazy and chaotic and seems to be falling apart. Right? It's another week, and there have been more shootings. There has been more chaos in our country. And yet God offers us peace amidst the chaos, when we get on board with ministering with Him. We have the opportunity to truly walk alongside God, in peace with Him, not constantly struggling with Him, as we like to do. To enjoy a life of upright holiness that is fueled by the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And it is as we fulfill our priestly duties that we most richly experience and can really delight. And that's one of God's desires, that we delight in ministering, that we savor the fruit of the Spirit, that we, we are blessed by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what we are called to as we get on God's team and minister faithfully with him. These are the rewards of being a New Testament priest. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the work of the great high priest that you sent your son Jesus, that he sacrificed himself willingly so that all who put their faith in him can be saved, can have eternal life, can have fellowship with you, Lord. We are so grateful for his work that he is always there for us when we we fall short, when we sin, when we mess up, and we seek repentance and forgiveness. Lord, help us as we recognize our responsibility as priests to not just do the work, but to delight in the work, to know the pleasure of being in your will and serving you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The call this morning is that each of us would follow Jesus Christ as our great high priest, that we would minister faithfully to others before the Lord. And we wouldn't just do the ministry, but that we would delight in it who would enjoy the blessings of faithful ministry. And that's my prayer for each of you this morning, that you would find your place of ministry if you have not already. And that there you would truly delight in the work that God has already set aside specifically for you. Now, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would urge you to make that decision right now, because that is the first step. Jesus is the great high priest precisely because we each sin, we each fall short of the glory of God, and so Christ stepped in. His sacrifice makes possible a gift of grace that God holds out before you this morning. But like any present, it does you no good unless you accept it, unwrap it, and open the box. And that only happens by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I would invite you to do that this morning if you have not, to accept that gift of grace from God. If you decide to do it this morning or if you've done it in recent days, we invite you to come forward as we sing so we can celebrate as a family. Now, if you've been worshiping with us for a while, but you are not yet formally joined Lake Ridge Baptist Church, we are grateful for your ministry here. But we would love to have you fully and formally join this church and to to say clearly this is your church family, that this is your base of ministry for sharing the kingdom here in Lakeridge and around to the ends of the earth. Once again, we would invite you to come forward for that.